Uh, we are in the book of Acts. We're in the second chapter today, and we're in the first part of chapter 2. And it's probably one of those uh, kind of Hall of Fame scriptures. It's one of those uh, very well-known passages of scripture. But uh, before I read it, I just want to kind of give you a little bit of the background. Uh, this is occurring on a Jewish feast. It's the Feast of Shavuot. Uh, many times we refer to it as the Feast of Pentecost. And it is the feast that celebrates in the Jewish community the giving of the Torah. When, when God gave the, the law and, uh, that guided the Jewish people for centuries, it is the truth of God guiding His people is what they're celebrating. So what better day than Pentecost to be the day that God gives the ultimate guide, the supreme guide, the Holy Spirit to the New Testament believers now, we all know that there's a world of difference between the Old Testament law and the New Testament spirit, right? Uh, the old law was this uh, external set of rules uh, that uh, really brought out the condemnation of mankind because nobody could keep the rules. And God had given them these rules. And um, uh, did you realize, do you realize this, that man looked at all those rules and said, that's not enough? We need more rules to keep these people in line. Uh, you just think about that. Can you imagine a church that comes up with rules for its people? I just can't even imagine. Can you? Aren't you glad we don't live in that day and age? We live in the age of grace and the fullness of the Holy Spirit and what He can do in a person's life and heart. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is the, the writing of God's ways on the very hearts of man so that... Uh, He's not living by an external set of rules. He's living by the powerful force of the living Christ in him. It's the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy when he wrote, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit. And where is he going to put it? In you. So before I read the passage, um, let me ask you a question. What do you think about the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Yeah, he's good. Let me ask you this. Is there a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit in the church world today? Whew. I just came up with a few things here. Uh, there are some Christians who think a focus on the Holy Spirit is going to make them weird. Really? Or do weird things. I don't want any part of that. I don't want weirdness. So they just ignore him. There are others who think that the Holy Spirit is their genie in a bottle and ready to give them whatever they really want in life. There are some whose whole focus on the Holy Spirit is one emotional experience after another. Then there are those who see the Holy Spirit as a higher step up than Jesus. It's kind of like a person that I once talked to visit our church, and uh, she told me, she says, you talk about Jesus an awful lot. And I said, yes, guilty. <laughs> and this was her words. I get Jesus. I'm looking for the Holy Spirit. I thought, so is Jesus like some freshman level class? And the Holy Spirit is graduate school? I don't think so. In fact, Jesus prepares his disciples for what is coming, 
And he uh, talks to them about what the role of the Holy Spirit's going to be when he comes. And he tells his disciples just a few weeks before this date of Pentecost. And so I want to give you this passage that Jesus is teaching because it helps us understand the role of the Holy Spirit. And now when it's poured out in our own lives, what it is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in us. Look what Jesus says to his disciples in John 16. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Several things we learn about the Spirit there. Uh, the Spirit of truth. He is the Spirit of truth, and He will guide you into all truth. How important is it to understand that? This is vital. This is key. If you want to understand truth, I think if we all took a vote, we'd all want to understand truth, right? I want to know what the Bible, I want to know what it says. I want to know that it's true. If you want to know what the Bible says is true, <laughs> it takes the Holy Spirit. He is the illuminator of Scripture. He is the illuminator, the giver, the teacher of truth. Another thing we learn about the Holy Spirit, He doesn't speak of His own initiative. He simply passes on what He hears. His primary purpose is this, to glorify Jesus. So much for Jesus being freshman level, right? <laughs> the Holy Spirit comes and He takes the life of Christ and He glorifies Jesus so that Jesus is active in our hearts and He is abiding His presence in us, the lives of His believers. He takes from Jesus and discloses it to us. He gets all His stuff, His teaching, His power, His ability from Christ Jesus and He makes it come alive in us. He is not Jesus' replacement. He is Jesus' fulfillment in us. The Holy Spirit is the abiding presence of Christ in the hearts of those who believe in Him. And uh, He is this gift of Jesus to us. That we may not only know about Jesus, you think of the disciples in their situation, they knew a lot about Jesus, they'd heard Him speak and heard Him talk, but they still made choices that were not in line with what they had been taught from Him. They were still somewhat selfish and self-protective. And... But this new life given to them, He is the gift of Christ that uh, we may not only know Christ, but we may... Live Christ because He's in us and guiding us and empowering us and gifting us. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, one and the same activity towards us. So the passage on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. 
And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, I would say so. And they said, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each hear? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? And then Luke, the statistician, the author of the book, says, he gives us the statistics here. Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they're full of sweet wine. You know, when you study the second uh, chapter of Acts and the initial coming of the Holy Spirit, there are some things here that are just kind of one-time events. This is the only time the entire Christian church is really all in one place. As far as we know, this is the only time that uh, there was this noise of a heavenly wind accompanied by these tongues of fire. But we dare not say that that is a historical event that has no lasting meaning. That is a historical event, yes, but it endures forever. It's a lot like uh, a wedding. A wedding is an event. Does it change two people's lives forever? Yeah. The coming of the Holy Spirit is, 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 some, is a one-time event that came and stayed. Pentecost did not come and go. It came and stayed. And it has given us, the church, access to carry out the mission of God in the world because we've been supplied with the power and the presence of God in us. What about this noise? This violent, rushing wind. Now, it, it does say that there doesn't necessarily say there was a wind. It says there was the noise of a violent, rushing wind. And if you, if you take apart those two, those two words, this word violent means forcible. The implication is nothing could stand in its way. It would mow anything down. It would blow everything over. Rushing means that it moves from one place to another. Clearing the path, if you will. Nothing could stand up against it. Extremely active. The tongues of fire. There is this anointing of the Holy Spirit given to His followers this anointing of the Holy Spirit that empowers the tongue to carry out the mission of Christ to present the gospel to the world. And it says the mighty deeds of God. 
The gospel is this good news, this message of Christ. It is to be spoken, transferred from one person to another, one generation to another. So the, 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 the imagery we get from the, the noise and the tongues of fire is this powerful force of the gospel of Jesus Christ that cannot be stopped but penetrates into the hearts and lives of people. The point is this, the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit is unstoppable. Do you believe that? The gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit penetrates the hearts and lives of people in our culture. The scene in the street that day, every person heard the mighty deeds of God in their own language. Nothing was going to stop it. Not even the fact that we don't speak the same language. I mean, I just came back from Europe where they don't speak my language. It's frustrating. Sometimes I ask for the gift of Russian. He's never given it to me. It would make things so much easier, right? In, in verse 14, it says that Peter stands up and preaches this, this, this sermon. Now understand, we've just been told we've got all these people who speak different languages. Peter stands up. Do you think he's speaking in all of their different languages? No, he's just speaking in his language, but it's, the implication is what? They all, they all understand what he's saying. He gives a Holy Spirit anointed message, which is piercing, it says. Have you ever heard a message that just went <gasps> to your heart? It just revealed something, opened something up, just laid you out, and oh my, I got to deal with this. And yet, I think about this message, and we'll talk about it in, 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 in the next message, but uh, Peter delivers this message in Acts 2, and he didn't have time to study for it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the Holy Spirit came, they rushed down, and, they, and now he's preaching. And when he got to the end... It pierced their heart. And they said, what do we do with this? I got I to do something with what you've just said. His message was not tickling the ears either. His message looked at his crowd and says, you crucified Christ. I didn't learn that in preaching school anywhere. That's, to use that technique. You crucified him. They said, what should we do? And he says, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You've been laid out. You see who you are. He'll forgive you. And not only that, he will give you what you see on display in our lives right now. He will fill you with the Holy Spirit right now. And he kept on telling them, it says, he kept on telling them, he kept on telling them. And this sermon, without any study preparation, saw 3,000 people come to Christ that day and join the church. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing 
as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That describes his message that day. It pierced them deeply because of the power of the Holy Spirit revealing the truth of the spoken word and uncovering the sin, opening up the hidden secrets of people's lives, and they knew they were exposed. I don't want any more of this. I want deliverance. What do I do? What do I do? You know, Jesus Christ has given you and I his life not to fulfill your hopes and dreams, but for you to be part of his mission in the world. As, as a believer in Christ, he has given you the power, the ability, the words to be a world changer. We're not depending on you, we're, we're completely completely dependent on Him. Do you believe today that God can change the world through His Spirit's power at work in your life today? Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of like a soldier. I thought about this. I often think about this imagery. It's kind of like a soldier going into battle and you've been given all the proper equipment. You have all the firepower, the ammunition to ward off the enemy and you have the plans for the mission and... Uh, you have everything you need to fulfill your duty, your place in the platoon. The Holy Spirit has equipped you for what He is asking you to do. What does it take to be a good soldier? Well, first, you need to, uh, you need to leave the old place. Do Christians need to leave the old place, the old self, the old man? You need to leave the former life. The soldier has to train. You have to understand the mission that God has called you to. You have to be broken of your will so you can accept the will of another. You have to be committed to the success of the mission, even if it costs you your life. I'm all in. If the soldier is worried about preserving his life or if he's anxious to gain some kind of recognition for his efforts, he's not a good soldier. He will be weak. He will be ineffective. He'll work contrary to the mission of the platoon. Oh, we're going after the enemy? We're going after the, the forces of darkness? I thought this was about me. God's Spirit in you and I is equipping us with everything we need for life and godliness. 2 Peter 1.3. He has given us everything that we need in the fullness of His Spirit. And He has set us free. Amen? He has set us completely free. You remember those days when you were under bondage and stress? Way back there sometime? Remember those old days? Remember the old you that was wrapped up in self and all what self wants? Woo, I'm glad those are gone. You might have to think hard, but you probably can remember them. 
You remember those days when you deeply cared about your money? (laughs) Worried about all that security. I need all that security. My money's going to be my security. And you got all uptight about not getting a promotion, and you just, you lived for your next promotion. And remember those old days? Remember all the stress, all the bondage, all the, I just, the weight of it all. And then Jesus came, filled you with his spirit. He became everything. He became the reason you get up in the morning. He became the source for everything you are, everything you do. He became your complete life. He set you free from yourself. Amen. I don't know. Maybe you run into these people. I, every once in a while, I run into them. They're, they're always people from a different church than this one. <laughs> but I have known Christians that have been set free from all of that choose to go back. I know you're surprised, right? They choose voluntarily to live under the stress and the weight of the old way. And it gets all twisted, to be honest, because you know what they do? They think that coming to Christ is now giving them a power source (laughs) to accomplish all their self-quests, right? Now that I'm a Christian, I'm going to get that promotion, Now that I'm a Christian, he's going to make sure I have plenty of money. Now that I'm a Christian, he's going to keep me well all the time, right? And then it doesn't happen. And what do they do? It's your fault. What good are you if you can't? Christ has set you free. He's not come to make all this the way you want it. He has come to set you free from all of this. You know, the book of Galatians, you read the book of Galatians, it's to, it's to the church, it's to Christians who had this freedom in Christ and they had experienced the transformation of the life of Christ in them. And um, voluntarily, they're like these people I'm talking about, they voluntarily chose to go back and put themselves under the rules of the past. And when you read the book of Galatians, you see, you can just, I can picture Paul writing it, pulling his hair out. What? This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. You, you, you just hear the spirit of his flabbergasted attitude the whole way through the book. And he sums it up in, in Galatians 5.1. He says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And those aren't, that's not a redundant statement. He set you free because he wants you to be what? Free. Therefore, keep standing firm in your freedom. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Why? Because it makes absolutely no sense. (laughs) Why would somebody who's walked out of the prison and the doors are open and you see it in your rearview mirror go, oh, I think I'll go back in there. I like it in there. Or it's more comfortable. I'm used to that. Okay, 
I'm, I'm, I'm preparing this message, I'm writing it out, and the thought occurs to me, Dave, sometimes you sound like a broken record. <laughs> a little encouragement would be nice right now. But. No. no, never. I say that because here I go again. I think I said this last week and the week before. You cannot live in the power of God's Spirit and be pursuing your own personal peace and prosperity at the same time. You just can't. You can't have this foot in this, this side of the fence and this foot in this side of the fence and make it work. Now, how do I know that? Because we've all tried it. Back in the 1970s, there was a man named Francis Schaeffer. Who's, have you heard of Francis Schaeffer? Okay, Francis Schaeffer is a really, really smart individual. And back in 1976, he produced a video series called How Should We Then Live? Okay, 1976, the year I graduated from high school. Okay, do the math. Sorry, but that's it. That's who, that's who I am. And uh, that's the same year he did this video series. So when, when I went to college, it was brand new, and everybody was kind of talking about it. He says, we're going to show the video series to a bunch of college students. How should we then live? Again, Francis Schaeffer is very, very smart. I didn't understand a word he said. As I got a little bit older... I watched it again, and I went, oh, my. This is the prophet of our day. What he is saying pinpoints the problem of our culture, the problem of the church. And it has just grown in the ensuing generation. So I'm going to read you a couple of paragraphs from it. He says this, gradually, that which had become the basic thought form of modern people became the almost totally accepted viewpoint, an almost monolithic consensus. Have I lost you yet? It gets better. Hang on. As it came to the majority of people through art and music and drama, theology and the mass media, values died. As the more Christian-dominated consensus Historically, America has been a Christian-dominated culture. He says, as, a, as the more Christian-dominated consensus weakened, the majority of people in, this, in the world, in, in our culture, adopted two, and he calls them impoverished values, personal peace and affluence. Then he explains it. Personal peace means just to be let alone. Not to be troubled by the troubles of other people, whether across the world or across the city. To live one's life with minimal possibilities of being personally disturbed. Is that America? I don't really care who gets elected. It's not going to affect my life. I don't really care what happens over there. That's on the other side of the world. Who cares? As long as it doesn't disrupt my daily work, my daily routine... I don't care. Personal peace means wanting to have my personal life pattern undisturbed in my lifetime, regardless of what the result will be in the lifetimes of my children and grandchildren. I don't really, when it comes right down to it, I really don't care. They can find their own way. 
Then he talks about affluence. Affluence means an overwhelming and increasing prosperity. A life made up, a life made up of things, things, and more things. A success that is judged by an ever higher level of material abundance. I, I think about that and I think, is that, is that, a, is that a defining statement on our culture? Then I think, is that a defining statement on the church? I think about that. Could this be why we have so many people in this affluent, relatively peaceful culture, so many people are addicted? So many people are depressed. So many people are anxious. So many people are suicidal. Did you know that America, with all of its mental health, with all of its health care, with all of its resources, is the most medicated nation the world has ever known? I look at these people in Acts, the church, I bet there wasn't one addict. Bet not. They were free. Completely free from the stresses, the strongholds, and the burdens that the world keeps heaping on people. They've been separated from that for the mission of Christ. They weren't invested there anymore. It was now about His kingdom. That's where we live. That's where we belong. And to be quite honest, it kind of makes them weird to the world. So I've had to ask myself, to be on mission with Christ, forsaking personal uh, comfort and affluence, does that make us weird? Are spirit-filled Christians weird to the world? Think about it. To be sacrificially generous with no regard for your personal wealth, well, that's just weird. Why would you do that? To believe what the Bible says about human sexuality. Really? You're going to believe that? That's weird. Don't you know where we've come, how we've progressed? To believe that God created the heavens and the earth? How simple is your mind? Haven't you studied science? Even to believe the Bible is still completely valid and true about everything. Well, that's just weird. You look at the reactions of these people in Acts 2. The people in the street. Uh, it says that some were both amazed and perplexed. This is the most confusing, weird thing I've ever seen in my whole life. And they were just asking, well, what does this mean? I mean, can you imagine being on the street that day? And you hear all these different languages from Galileans, Jews. And they're talking about this awesome, wonderful, mighty works of God. Others, others looked at it and they scoffed at him and said, what? A bunch of drunks. <laughs> Sometimes I'd love to be so on fire with the Holy Spirit. Somebody call me drunk. <laughs> the church empowered by the Holy Spirit can't help but be noticed. <laughs> Amen? It just can't 
You just can't keep it a secret. <laughs> just can't. Yeah, and then it kind of goes against my personality. When I was a kid, I, I, I wanted to be unnoticed. Anybody else like that? You know, I, I wasn't the... I was the one that when they, the teacher was looking for somebody to answer a question, that even if I knew the answer, it didn't matter. I did not want to stick out. And I'm here to tell you today, Jesus changed all of that. Jesus changed all of that. He changed everything. As a believer in Christ, I know I don't fit here, and I enjoy sticking out. Amen? Because why? I don't care. I just don't care. Do you care? I don't care. And as you go through the book of Acts, you'll see a people filled with the Holy Spirit who don't care. <laughs> they don't care about the things the world says you're supposed to care about. They don't mind giving all of their stuff away. They, they, they don't mind standing up to governments and uh, knowing that they're going to get beaten or thrown in jail. But once they get thrown in jail, what do they do? They start singing and praising. In the book of Acts, these people are persecuted, shipwrecked, beaten, even martyred by the world. And yet, what is happening to this church? It is what? Oh, you're persecuted, and you're beaten, and you're shipwrecked, and you're martyred. Sign me up. That's the Holy Spirit. If you are so disconnected from all of this here, you're living for something else in some other way. I want in, please. Later in chapter 2, we see what these people, the marks of these people, how they how they lived life. They were devoted to four things, it says. Probably others, but these things are mentioned. They were devoted to prayer. These people prayed for one another. Folks, we need to pray for one another. Amen? Well, hey, we're praying for these students this month, but how many times have you been in a conversation at church and somebody exposes a need? What if you just stopped right then and prayed for them? Would that be all right? I mean... What if out in the gathering area, in the hallways, all around here, we just see people bowed their heads in prayer, praying for one another? Do you think that'd be weird? That's the normal activity of the church. That's what they do. They're devoted to prayer. I don't have the answer for your situation, but I know who does. Let's pray. They were devoted to fellowship. It says koinonia. They loved one another. Oh, they loved one another so much. Here, you need something? I, I, I got it. You have. You, it's yours. I just want to build the love relationships that we have with one another. We are devoted. The Spirit within us compels us to connect with the Spirit within you and love one another. They're devoted to the Word of God, to the teaching of the apostles. It says, I want to know more. I want to learn. I want to be rooted in my faith. I want to understand. Teach me more. Let me soak it in so that I can walk in the fullness of what God wants to put into my mind that I may know and pass on the gospel to others. And it says they were devoted to breaking of bread, which is the recognition that Jesus is why we do all of this. His sacrifice on the cross, His shed blood, this is why we do 
all of this. So, as I close, let me ask you this question. If you had to answer this question, what do you really care about today? Are there things you care about that you shouldn't? And because you care, you live under a stressful, anxiety-ridden life. It, it could be that you're, like I spoke about earlier, you, you, you want to be a Christian because you're using God as a means to an end. I, I need you, God. I love you, God. But you need to get to work. You see, come on. What about laying that aside and saying, I just want him. I just want him. Where are you stifling the Holy Spirit? I'm here today to tell you, folks, that Jesus Christ has done mighty works, as it says in here. Mighty works. He died on a cross and he conquered sin and death. His shed blood is capable of forgiving every one of your sins. I don't care how bad they are. Amen. The invitation to these people in Acts 2 that Peter gave is the same invitation to you. Repent, turn, from, turn to him and he will forgive you of all of your sins and he will fill you completely with his life, his Holy Spirit, and you can be released from the bondage of the stuff. Oh, praise the Lord. What if every one of us was free from all of the stuff? Sometimes that just makes me just excited. Freedom from the stuff. Every person, no strongholds. Bow your heads with me. Father, no doubt across this congregation today is, is, is we talk about these things and we talk about the power of the Spirit and we talk about the fullness of the Spirit and what you can do to set us free from the uh, struggles of the worldly connections in our life. No doubt there are people that need to do that and need that in their lives today. I pray, Father, in this moment, in these closing moments, that they will look to you and say, Lord, I don't know necessarily how to do that. I don't know what that means, but I do know that I want freedom to where I can be solely yours and solely focused on you as the source of my life and not really care about the stuff the world says I ought to care about. So I'm praying, Father, that you draw each of us into you in such a powerful way that we can, we can proclaim with joyful hearts just this deep-seated joy of freedom that has come into our lives that we know because we know that we know that we know the abiding presence of Christ is it's not just at the center of who we are. It is who we are. So, Father, I pray in these moments as we sing about the majesty of your glory and the, 
the work of the cross and the proclamation of you as Redeemer and Deliverer and Healer, Father, today. I pray that that message just pours over us and washes over us the ministry of the Holy Spirit among us today, Father. May you be lifted up high and mighty. May we proclaim the mighty deeds of God in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together.